That's quite a passage. Um, my name is Donovan. Thanks for being here. Uh, you'll know why we skipped several chapters to get to Isaiah 24 here a minute, in a minute if that seems strange to you. Um, let me pray. Yeah. God, thank you for <laughs> your spirit that comes and quickens, brings faith and renews spirit. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the ability to be with brothers and sisters and to sing and strengthen one another. Pray that you would do that through the word. Help me. Um, help me. Amen. Two things this morning that are just fresh. The line in that song, uh, Holy Spirit, come and fill this shell. That's how I felt all day yesterday, like a shell. And I'm reading Isaiah 24 and looking at the world, and I'm just like, a shell. Does the gospel seem small to you for these times? Does it seem like, man, God, if we, could you just get everything back in order so we can get back to church? I feel like that sometimes. And I watch the news. Boy, I watch too much news and read, listen to too many podcasts, and I hear, man, all these nut jobs. <laughs> but they have footing in the world and they're doing things, and it's overwhelming, and I feel like I have this little passage in this little gospel, and I feel like a little man, and I am, but God is not, right? We sing, be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations, and it's one of the things we're going to see, hopefully, in this passage today is that kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But he is enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. This passage, Isaiah 24, is again about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is, it's the end. It's when, man, the, the pains of this life pass. And we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And as Peter puts it, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar. <laughs> Here in Isaiah, God puts it this way, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate and he will twist its surface. This passage is about the apocalypse. What does that word mean? The apocalypse. I googled. Sometimes Google's right. This is how Google defines the apocalypse. The complete final destruction of the world as described in the biblical book of Revelation. Or an event involving destruction or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. That's what it's come to mean. But the word apocalypse comes from the Greek apocalypse. And it means revelation. It doesn't mean destruction. There'll be some destruction, but it's not what it's about. It's the day of revelation. Because we don't live, the world we live in is not showing everything as it is. God is clouded. Man is clouded. You are clouded. Christ is clouded. Sin is clouded. Righteousness is clouded. And there will be a day of revelation. The apocalypse. When all will be seen. If you watch post-apocalyptic movies... 
what, what is the theme? The theme is, is it's the loss of stability and the ushering in of chaos. But in the biblical worldview, the apocalypse is the loss of chaos and the ushering in of stability. I long for a post-apocalyptic world. And the chaos is gone. We're not going back. There's a magnitude of events right now. I do believe that America and the West will never be the same. We're not going back, nor should we, frankly. It wasn't that great. We're not going back. History is moving forward. It's moving forward to the apocalypse, the revelation. And there's that ultimate day when that will come and we will see. We're talking about seeing the invincibility of the earth and the invincibility of man and the invincibility of God and his glory. But between now and then, there are shadow events, what Jesus calls birth pains, that are like labor, like a woman in labor, giving birth, right? There's a new world coming, and there are birth pangs, and that's what we are witnessing and walking through right now. They are birth pangs. Jesus puts it this way, what for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes, and all these are at the beginning of birth pains, the birth of the new heavens and new earth. This is where it's headed. Verse 23, the end of chapter 24. The moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. Why? The moon and the sun have such glory shining through them that throughout history they have been worshipped in every civilization. And when they see the Lord of hosts reigning on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and his glory revealed, the apocalypse before his elders, the, the moon and sun will be ashamed. They'll wish they had clothes. That's where this is headed. What do apocalyptic events reveal? They reveal the vincible, right? So some of this, is, we've talked about this. We're going to keep talking about it. The vincible. Verse 1. I will empty the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface. Can you twist the surface of the earth? I mean, the earth to us seems permanent. It holds our civilization. You want to build buildings? What do you, you set it on the earth. That'll hold. You ever been in an earthquake? I've been in an 8.1 earthquake. The ground moves like the ocean. The earth is as water. It's not hard. It's not permanent. It's vincible. And all it takes is the word of the Lord. The vincibility of the earth is revealed. Verse 18, halfway through. The windows of heaven are opened and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. And the earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. Isaiah, I think this is Isaiah, puts it later and says this. 
all the hosts of heaven, so these are the angelic powers, will rot away. The skies roll up like a scroll. So what we see is the heavens, the heavens and, and imagine this permanence there. He says it's like a scroll. It's like a piece of paper you could tear. We've seen Jesus comes and rends the skies. And all their hosts, the stars. Now this is referring to ultimately angelic powers, but pictured in the stars, the sun will fall like leaves from the vine. Like leaves falling from the fig tree. Everything's relative. The earth to us seems solid because we're so soft. We are revealed as vincible. Verse 7. We're dependent on food from the earth. We're dependent on water. We're dependent on safety. Listen. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. Why? Their idols are gone. No more wine. No more music. No more Netflix. No more highways. No more internet. It's gone. Pandemic, right, to the next level. Just think of how unsettling it's been to have some of our luxuries removed. It's all gone. There's nothing to reach out for. The earth itself has been twisted. But you have needs. You, we, are revealed. Our civilization comes to waste. Verse 10, the wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. Our civilization is fragile. Have you seen this? It's fragile. It is so Fragile. Our world is like a tinderbox, and every social media post is like a spark. Gosh, just imagine another video coming out right now. (laughs) I read articles. The pandemic has revealed the fragility of capitalism. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) Capitalism. Look, I'm no fan. I can critique capitalism all day, but you're not going far enough. We are fragile. I was, I was weed whacking yesterday, and all of a sudden I came across this like resistance that wasn't normal, and I pulled back, and I saw a snake. Like, now you have to know, okay, let me tell you a story. Last night, my wife and I are sitting on our wooden deck. It's dark, and this freaking thing comes fluttering around. It's like this big. It wasn't a snake, so some kind, of, some kind of moth or flying snake or something like that. It seemed as a great dragon. And I am, like, I have a phobia. Literally, I'm like, oh, babe, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. And it's like, it's not flying by. It's just hovering and doing this thing. And I'm like, babe. And she, I thought she was going to save me. She starts panicking. We're both literally going like this, like, get away, get away. I mean, we were revealed, right? So that's, it was an apocalyptic moment. So, that, so now I've got this snake, and I can tell it's been injured. It's writhing, and I call my kids up to rescue me. I'm like, I'm not touching this thing, right? Call them up, come up here, and my son just, with no shame, just reaches down and grabs it, which I'm horrified by, grabs the snake by the, 
by the tail, and it's hanging there, and it's still alive, but it's been split in the side, and he's got like a bulge of guts hanging out, right? And, uh, and he's like, well, I'm going to go kill it. I was like, how? He's like, I'm going to smash its head with a rock. It's like... <laughs> We're cut from a different cloth, me and him. I can't do it. See if I can reclaim this metaphor. Uh, oh, okay, that snake is soft, right? That, I felt like, literally, I felt like that's the impression I had yesterday of, of us. We're just bags of flesh, just soft. It won't take much, a careening piece of metal, much less an asteroid or something. We're just soft. We are vincible. And we stand on this earth, which seems solid, and God says he can twist its surface. What does that mean about me? I'm soft. We are dust. Isaiah refers us to, uh, to us here as inhabitants of the earth, like a snake in the grass. At any moment, that snake had no idea, just living its life, and all of a sudden, life over. That was its day of the Lord, came like a thief. You don't know when. So we stand revealed as very frail. Here's something else that is revealed. The guilt of all. Paul says it this way. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and this will get racial, are under sin. None is righteousness. You know what social media is? It's a righteousness competition. None is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Listen to this. Does this describe humanity right now? All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, that's a snake, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. Everyone. So I skipped to chapter 24 for a couple reasons. One, I want to get through this book before the apocalypse. Number two, the last chapter I preached was Isaiah 12. Isaiah 13 is judgment on Babylon. Babylon is bad, right? So yeah, judgment on Babylon, that's what we need. Babylon has been running through, right, the current, what we refer to as the Middle East, and capturing nation after nation, and we saw that when Babylon was bragging and saying, look, I have conquered kings. So yeah, they're the worst, right? They're the global superpower. Bring them down, yeah. And God brings judgment on them, and Babylon is going to be brought down and utterly exposed. Yeah, great. And then God goes, I'm not done. An oracle concerning Assyria. An oracle concerning Philistia. An oracle concerning Moab. 
an oracle concerning Damascus, an oracle concerning Cush, an oracle concerning Egypt, an oracle concerning Babylon, Jerusalem, an oracle concerning America, an oracle concerning China, Russia, everybody. None are righteous. So maybe America right now is the global superpower and the main purveyor of sin and evil. Sure, I don't care. No one's better. None are righteous. Babylon must fall. Now listen, America is not the kingdom of heaven. Let it fall. Maybe, maybe we would know who we are. Maybe. And whoever's vision it is, apart from Christ, to usher in the next thing that's going to take over the West, an oracle concerning them. <laughs> Good luck. This is not our home. God is going to judge the kings of the earth. Verse 22, they will be gathered together. Sorry, verse 21, on that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven. Those are the demonic powers that rule over the earth under God's rule. He will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of earth on the earth. Because they work together. I don't think, I think a lot of us here don't really believe that. It's like, yeah, 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 but not in America. There's like an exception clause that the nations have been handed over to the sons of God, but not America. Our allegiance is to the king, being thrown upon the praises of a thousand generations. And throughout those generations, the kingdoms come and the kingdoms fall, but the king rules, the king. And sometimes we, we forget or get lost and, and think that things are fine here. It's like the Jews living in Egypt, right? When they had refuge there and the Pharaoh looked with favor upon them. It was a pretty good run until it wasn't. Until the people of God become too many. Until the kings of the earth see them as a threat. All races and nations, all class of people are revealed as guilty. Listen to this. Verse 2. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. All revealed as guilty. Verse 5, the earth lies defiled under its habitants, for they all have transgressed the laws, right? None are righteous, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. As with the liberals, as with the conservatives. 
No one's going to be riding in. None of these teams are going to be riding in on the horses with Christ. As with the Democrats, as with the Republicans, as with the fascists and the communists, as with the gay, as with the straight, as with the oppressed, as with the oppressor. It's right here. The slave and the master. And opposition. One's the oppressor, one's the oppressed. There's some things going on there that need to be dealt with. But on the day of revelation, every knee will bow. Not, you're not righteous. You're not righteous because you've been oppressed. You're not righteous because you have oppressed. None are righteous. God is revealed. God is moving. Here we see in Isaiah 24 the final move of God to usher in the apocalypse. But he's moving in history, guys. Does calamity come into a city unless the Lord has done it? The answer is no. All the calamity we see is the hand of God. Here's what we, I can't see exactly what he's doing. But I know he's there and he's doing something wise. And I see him toppling kingdoms. And I see us being afraid of that, including myself, because I'm not holy. But he has to topple the kingdoms. I was talking with the RISE students this past week, having a conversation, and just asked them, uh, why have borders? Let's not just, let's just erase borders. Like, it seems kind of arbitrary. Let's just have one world. We all live together, no borders, open borders. And one of them said, uh, well, if we just had one world, that one person in control would be so corrupt and powerful that it would be, it would be horrific. And uh, she just intuited that. And I was like, uh, yeah. Do you want to lead a group? <laughs> but she's right. You know what? That's what God did at Babel. All the people were united as one in evil. And God says, this is no good. Scatter the nations. Make different languages. Set them at odds against one another. That will restrain evil. There's going to be a one world order one day, and it's going to be mine. I'm going to come in and usher that in. Until now, until then, it's like a diversionary tactic. And it keeps happening over history. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Westerners, maybe the Chinese, the whatever. And none of us should grab one of those kingdoms and lament. There's some pain in there, but I'm talking about ultimates here. It's not the kingdom of God. God is shaking the kingdoms. And we need to believe that it's good. And like I said today, maybe we'll know who we are. Maybe it's for the good of the church. Because there has been a great confliction or confusion between what is the church and what is this nation. God's going to make it clear. God is moving, but it's scary. We have a little dog. Little. She's four pounds. About this tall, she's a uh, toy poodle. She loves to sit around us and be by us. But you know, if I'm sitting on the couch or something, and when I get up, she runs for her life. <laughs> you know, she's like, "Where's he going?" And like, it's like she loves to be near me, but she's frightened when I move. And someone told me that's like us with God. Now, Grant, I'm like, 
she weighs four pounds. I did the math. It'd be like if I'm at home and I live with a 10,000-pound monster. And he's like, okay, okay. And all of a sudden he gets up, like, going to the fridge. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> right? And it makes sense. It makes sense. We are small. We just got to believe that God is good. He runs the universe. He sits enthroned above all earthly and heavenly powers. And he is doing one thing and is moving history forward toward the apocalypse, the revelation of his glory. He will be fully revealed. Right now we live in an age of mercy. When that happens, there's a hard stop. Like there's a, there's a hard stop. New heavens and new earth. No more mercy after that. Right now we live in an age of mercy, and that's why we were here. My wife was just telling one of my daughters about this. This is why God hasn't taken us. When you get saved, why aren't you, you know, brought out of the earth and just taken home? You're here to tell others about his glory, about his mercy, about what he's done. So as history moves forward... Our role is to build the kingdom in the power of God through the preaching of the word, all his gifts, evangelism, mission, all these things, right? We are building the kingdom as kingdoms fall, kingdoms come, and kingdoms go. We are proclaiming his excellencies, and it's only through the gospel. Listen, there's different degrees of involvement in, like, social reform and all that stuff, and, man, fine. Yes. And just be careful. Is it being built by Christ? Beware of movements that don't have Christ at the top, because I can guarantee you all they're doing in is ushering the next Babylon. It's not even up for debate. If Christ is not king, there's a chaotic, demonic kingdom being established. No matter how much justice they have written into their into their bylaws or whatever. Do they know the king? Do they know mercy? Have they found grace? Do they even know what reconciliation means? Has it happened to you? Or is this a kingdom of revenge? You need to be very careful. Build the kingdom. Listen to a man... Recently, I've, um, his name is John M. Perkins. I've shared some videos with him in it recently. And the reason I'm sitting in that is because he has some experience speaking into broader social issues, including you know, racial reconciliation and that, that I don't, and I want to learn. But I want to learn from someone who has drunk grace. That's what I want. Have you been reconciled? There's only one thing big enough. He's, he sees the, the, the size of the problem, right? And, and it feels like a shell, like I do. And I go, how? How is this possible? What's the way forward? And he says this. Let me tell you who he is briefly. He's a 90-year-old black Christian pastor who was part of founding the civil rights movement in the U.S. And he's still out there. And his, you want to talk about credibility when it comes to social justice, like, Dozens of foundations doing hard inner city work and in multicultural ministry, and he knows Jesus. It's rooted in Jesus. He says this the only thing big enough 
Is the gospel big enough to save us, black and white, in our misery? So your movement leaders, do you have a gospel big enough to save all of us? The Moabites, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, the whites, the blacks. Is your gospel big enough for that? To save us in our misery? Us maggots who want to kill each other? Let's leave you with a little bit of his testimony. He had, been, he had a brother murdered. He was in Mississippi in 19, early 1930s is when he was born. And he had a brother killed, and he was basically almost beaten to death. And he fled, moved, moved to California. Eventually, he was introduced to Jesus. He, he didn't grow up in the church. You see, I don't want guilty leaders. I want, I don't want, I want apocalyptic leaders. I want leaders who have had revelation. I want leaders who have seen the king. He says this, I began to see with horror how hate could destroy me. Just what is the mood? As you, as you read and follow and pick up books, like what is the mood? Is it love? Is it the kingdom? Is it reconciliation? Or is it hate? Disguised as righteousness and justice. I began to see with horror how hate could destroy me. Destroy me. Destroy me more devastatingly and suddenly than any destruction I could bring on those who had wronged me. I could fight back as many of my brothers had done. But if I did, how would I be different from the whites who hate? And where would hating get me? Anyone can hate. This whole business of hating and hating back, it's what keeps the vicious circle of racism going. The Spirit of God worked in me as I lay in that bed, an image formed in my mind. It's an apocalypse, a revelation. The image of the cross. This is the glory of God. Christ on the cross. It blotted out everything else in my mind. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. He understood and he cared because he had experienced it all himself. This Jesus, the one who had brought good news directly from heaven. That's the size of the gospel we need. I need good news directly from heaven. This problem is transcontinental. It's cosmic. This Jesus, the one who had brought good news directly from heaven, had lived what he preached. Yet he was arrested and falsely accused. Like me, he went through an unjust trial. He also faced a lynch mob and got beaten. But even more than that, he was nailed to a rough wooden planks, to rough wooden planks and killed like a common criminal. At that crucial moment, it seemed that Jesus, to Jesus, that even God himself had deserted him. The suffering was so great, he cried out in agony. He was dying. But when he looked at that mob that had lynched him, he didn't hate them. It's Christ or chaos. It's Christ or chaos. Love your enemy. He didn't hate them. He loved them. 
He forgave them. And he prayed to God to forgive them. Father, forgive these people for they know not what they are doing. His enemies hated, but Jesus forgave. I couldn't get away from that. The Spirit of God kept working on me and into me until I could say with Jesus, I forgive them too. I promised him that I would return good for evil, not evil for evil. And he gave me the love I knew I would need. So do you feel like a shell up against this? You need the love of God. He gave me the love I knew I would need to fulfill his command to love your enemy. Because of Christ, God himself met me and healed my heart and mind with his love. The Spirit of God helped me to really believe what I had so often professed, that only in the love of Christ is there only hope for me, or for those I had once worked so hard for. After that, God gave me the strength and motivation to rise up out of my bed and return to Mississippi and spread a little more of his love around. Oh, I know man is bad. He's depraved. There's something built into him that makes him want to be superior. And if the black man had the advantage, he'd be just as bad. So I can't hate the white man. The problem is spiritual. We all need to be born again. It's a profound, mysterious truth. Jesus' concept of love overpowering hate. I may not see its victory in my lifetime, but I know it's true. I know it's true because it happened to me. On that bed, full of bruises and stitches, God made it true in me. He washed my hatred away and replaced it with the love for the white man in rural Mississippi. I feel strong again, stronger than ever. What doesn't destroy me makes me stronger. I know it's true because it happened to me. I want to learn from someone like that. So let's transition here into a time of response. Invite the musicians up. And We're going to sing. There's opportunities to give. You know, if you're here, there are giving boxes by the doors as usual. And then we have online giving. Thank you for those who have been faithful during these Uncertain times, and um, I trust God with that. We're not having communion live on Sundays right now, and uh, we'll revisit for July. Please be patient with us. We value communion, the Lord's Supper, we do. Just trying to balance a lot of issues right now. So if you're at home and you've prepared communion, be obviously the time to do that with your friends and family. We're going to sing. There's a a spot of brightness in this passage, right? There's a lot of cursing and death and judgment of demons and all that stuff. But there's a song coming up, rising. Listen to verse 14. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy. Who's that? These are the people of God, right? The apocalypse is coming. And there's a great revelation and there's destruction, but there's a remnant. There's a people of God who have shown, been shown grace, who have bowed the knee to Jesus, who have been dipped in the blood, who see that none are righteous, but the righteous one, they come to him. They lift up their voices, they sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. And now this is a call, do you hear that? Then shout yourself, respond. Therefore in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
From the ends of the earth, and this is true today, we hear songs of praise of glory to the righteous one. Our kingdoms come and go. The church endures. So let's worship our king. Let's sing together. Let me pray and ask him for help. Oh, thank you for your mercy, God. And uh, show us where it is that we need set free from this world. Fill us with your spirit and your love. Help us to sing with faith-filled voices, God. Transform us. Send us out into the world to be agents of change, to be different. We need your power for that, God. We love you and thank you. Amen.